that it belonged to Germany. The Sudetenland is the northern and western parts of what is, or what was then called Czechoslovakia. There's only one man in Europe who recognized what Hitler was up to. His name was Winston Churchill. He got a copy of Hitler's book called Mein Kampf, and in English it's My Struggle. And in that book, Hitler outlined his plan for Europe. It was what we now know as the Third Reich. He outlined his hatred for gypsies, Jews, anybody that didn't measure up to the Aryan race. After invading Czechoslovakia, Hitler was emboldened by the lack of response from the world. So he went on to invade Austria, and in the spring of 1938, he claimed it as his own without any resistance. In fact, there was a parade welcoming Hitler and his Nazis into Austria. Hope was slipping away. All the while, Winston Churchill is speaking up, and he is warning the government of the day and warning governments across the world, and particularly the USA, but nobody is listening. Until September 1st, 1939, when Hitler's Nazis invaded Poland, which fell in just 28 days. It was only after Poland was invaded that Britain and France declared war on Germany. And it looked terribly, terribly hopeless. You see, Europe had, not that many years before, experienced what we now know as World War I. And they watched many, many millions die in that war. There was a sinking feeling that Europe was about to experience yet another bloodbath. After invading Poland, just seven months later, Hitler invaded Norway and Denmark, and in just one day, those nations fell without resistance. On May 10th, just a month later, Hitler and his Nazis, using the Blitzkrieg strategy, that is the lightning strike strategy, they moved into Belgium, Luxembourg, and the Netherlands, which also fell in just one day. It's looking terribly, terribly hopeless. And then by June, June 14, 1490, France also falls to Germany. The only nations that were standing against this bully in Europe was Britain and Russia. Europe was bracing for what would become the biggest bloodbath in the history of humanity. During that war and just leading up to that war, over 60 million, that's 6060 million people would die. And if you were mentally handicapped in any way, if you were gay, if you were a gypsy, if you were Jehovah's Witness, if you were Jewish, you would be thrown into jail and, or one of the concentration camps and most likely be put to death. Talk about hopeless, utter hopelessness. Now that's something that we have a hard time relating to here in the West, here in Canada. Because even at your lowest, you still can ask friends for help, you can ask the government for help. There's help around, right? You can go to Winnipeg Harvest, 
you can get social assistance. But we're talking about a day and an age when there is no assistance to be had and just your race would determine whether or not you were going to live or not. Utter hopelessness. Dr. Dale Archard, Archard, a board-certified psychiatrist and distinguished fellow of the American Psychiatric Association, here's what he says about hope. He says, if I could find a way to package and dispense hope, I would have a pill more powerful than any antidepressant on the market. If I could find a way to package and dispense hope, I would have a pill more powerful than any antidepressant on the market. Hope is often the only thing between man and the abyss. As long as a patient, individual, or victim has hope, they can recover from anything and everything. However, if they lose hope, if they lose hope, unless you can help them get it back, all is lost. One thing I can tell you, says Dr. Archer, is that hope is an emotion that springs from the heart, not the brain. This morning I want to talk to you about hope and, and uh, to help me communicate the message of hope to you. I want us to go back almost 2,000 years ago to the day that we call Palm Sunday. This is Palm Sunday. As children, one of the things that we would do to celebrate Palm Sunday is we would be each given a palm branch. How many of you remember those days in Sunday school? Corey, you remember that. Maybe we were all given palm, palm branches. And we would sing Hosanna to the King of Kings. And it's, you're going to see why in just a moment. Because a lot of people, we know it's Palm Sunday, but we don't have a clue what it means. Well, I would argue this morning that Palm Sunday is all about hope. In 63, 63 BC, the Roman general Pompey invaded Judea. What he did is he set up in the land of Judea a governor that would rule the land with an iron fist. And through that governor, he would impose taxes on the Jewish people. And in order to keep the Jews sort of happy and content and and cooperative, what they did is they appointed what we now know as the great Herods, the Herods, the kings of Israel, who really had no claim to the throne, but at least they were Jewish. Well, the Jewish people were not fooled. They understood that these Herods were imposters, imposers, and as it turns out, the Jewish kings, the Herods, were actually worse to deal with than the horrible Roman oppressors. It looked absolutely hopeless. It's interesting that Hitler talked about the Third Reich. He looked back to the Roman era, and he thought that he would model his empire after the Roman Empire through aggression, brutality, through terror, and that's exactly what they did in Judea. They imposed a tax on the people of Israel 
Now, you've got to remember the Jewish people already were being taxed by the temple to advance Jewish worship. That's how they worshiped. Everybody gave. Some believe it was 10%. Mark Driscoll said it was as much as 30% of their income would go to the temple. And then Rome comes along and says, we're going we're gonna to do an income tax of 1%, and everybody's, yay, phew, it's only 1%, but it doesn't stop there. There is a crop tax. One-tenth of their grain would go to Rome. A fifth of their wine, fruit, and olive oil would go to Rome. There was a sales tax. There was a property tax. There was an emergency tax, and so on and so forth. And some of you, I know what you're thinking. It sounds like Canada. <laughs> sounds like Winnipeg. If you think our taxes are bad, you, you just can't imagine. These people were literally working for peanuts. And it, it meant extreme poverty in the land, horrible poverty. Talk about hopeless. But it gets worse. Because not only are these poor people taxed to the extreme... Rome imposed their gods on the Jewish people, and suddenly Roman temples and Roman worship of Roman gods was being imposed on the Jewish people. These are people who came to the promised land, to a land given to them by God. This is a land where God was supposed to dwell. His presence represented in the temple. And yet they're surrounded by these pagan gods. And surely the people wondered, where's our God? Hopeless. Utter hopelessness. But it gets worse. Because if you did anything that was in opposition to the Roman government. If you were considered an enemy of the state, and it didn't take much to be an enemy of the state, then you were crucified. He said, hold on a minute, Pastor Alan. I thought it was just Jesus that was crucified. In fact, wasn't there just three people crucified? That's what the poster has. No, as a matter of fact, Josephus tells us that there were literally thousands of people crucified on a regular basis. In fact, every road going in and out of Jerusalem was lined with people who had been crucified or who were being crucified. It was a message to the Jewish people that they better not step out of line, that they better not oppose Rome. Talk about opposition. Every zealot, every man or woman that rose up and said, we don't want Rome here. Anybody who was considered a pirate or a rogue slave, anyone considered an enemy would be crucified. And that's why Jesus was crucified 2,000 years ago. He was seen as an enemy of the state. But we'll talk more about that next week. What I want us to see today is that when things seem hopeless, when it seems like you can't go on yet one more day, when it seems like God is nowhere around and, and we're losing control, my friends, that is when God appears in most mysterious ways. Now, I want the Spirit of God to speak to your heart right now. Because here's what I know. 
Being a pastor for the number of years I've been a pastor, I know that most of us here today have some sort of thing that's going on in our life right now that maybe is giving you the sense of hopelessness. Maybe it's your health out of control. Maybe it's a relationship out of control, falling apart. Your enemies now. Perhaps you're having problems in your marriage. Maybe your kids have got problems, and maybe you're not even talking to your kids right now. Perhaps it's a financial matter, and you just, you just look at the situation, and it just all looks hopeless. I want you to know today that the Christian faith is a message of hope Not for perfect people, not for people who've got all their ducks in a row and got everything sorted out, because that's sometimes what we think. Christianity, it's for for good people, for goody two-shoes. But I want you to know that Christianity is for you, whatever your situation is. You say, Pastor Allen, hold on a minute. The mess that I am in right now, uh, it's my fault. If, I, if I'm honest, totally honest, I, I got marriage problems, it's my fault. But the, the relationship is broken up because it's my fault. My kids aren't talking to me because it's my fault. I got financial problems, I got health problems, I got, it's my fault. Well, guess what? We talked about this last week, and we talked about the fall. And the fact of the matter is, every single one of us sitting here today has got to admit, I'm a sinner. I need God's grace. And so Christianity is not for the good people. It's for people who are, shall we say it, bad or sinners. And that, I know, means all of us. And if there's anybody here today who has never sinned and considers himself perfect, I'd like you to come right now and sit in this chair, and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to listen to you. Because the fact of the matter is, is that all of us have gotten ourselves into trouble. They've gotten us into a place, gotten ourselves into a place where we're feeling pretty hopeless. But the good news of the gospel is this, is that Jesus Christ loves you. God loves you. And he knows all about your situation. He knows all about your problems. He knows all about your struggles. He knows all about that sense of hopelessness that you're experiencing right now. And God has called me to speak a word to your heart, to tell you today, are you ready for this? He loves you. He's not mad at you. He doesn't condemn you. He doesn't judge you. He's not sitting in the sky ready to smack you one. That's not God. God loves you and cares about you. In fact, I believe that's why you're here this morning, because God has got a message of hope for those of us who are feeling a sense of hopelessness. Which brings us then to Palm Sunday. Israel, in the midst of their hopelessness, feeling as though God had abandoned them. Where's God? How could he leave me like this? How could he abandon us? We're called the children of God, God's chosen. 
And as Rick Tevye would say in Fiddler on the Roof, could you choose somebody else for a change? There's a flicker of hope in Israel. They heard about Jesus. They hear that Jesus, this teacher, this prophet from Nazareth, has been wandering throughout the land and he's been teaching with authority. Stuff that they'd heard many times now is like brand new. And not only is he teaching with authority and speaking right into their life to deal with the situation that that they're in, who knew that the truth that the Bible could be so relevant to my situation? That's really what they were saying. But he's healing people. What? Yeah, people are being healed. And there's people who've been raised from the dead. It's documented. There's many eyewitnesses. It's all true. But wait, there's more. He walked on the water. He calmed the storm. He fed a multitude with just a few fish and a few loaves of bread. He's a miracle worker. He's a healer. He's a teacher. And he's preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. Can this be true? Hope is beginning to rise in the hearts of the people. These people who've been living for a hundred years in hopelessness. Hope is beginning to rise. And then one day, Jesus comes to Jerusalem. And he says to his disciples, go get me that donkey's colt. I'm going to ride into Jerusalem on the back of that donkey's colt. As Jesus enters into Jerusalem, the people start to... to to sing and to shout. In fact, it's a fever pitch of hope. Imagine yourself at our stadium at a Grey Cup and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are in the game. They're actually competing. And not only are they competing, they're winning. Imagine you will not be able to talk to the person beside you, right? No? You have no hope, do you? <laughs> it will happen someday. Imagine with me that this is Jerusalem. People are screaming, they're shouting. And look at this, John 12, 20, 12 to 13. It says, a large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches. There it is, Corey, the palm branches that we got when we were in Sunday school. They took the palm branches and went down the road to meet him. And the Bible says that they took the palm branches and they laid them on the ground so that when he came in, he would be actually not walking just on the dirt road, but on those palm branches. And some even took off their cloaks and put them down because they recognized that he was not just a rabbi, they recognized that he was a king. Hope. Hope had arrived in Jerusalem that day. They shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. Now, the Jewish leaders, not to mention Herod, is going berserk. 
Because they've got a good thing going. They're milking the people for all they're worth. And suddenly, the people of Israel have turned their eyes off of Rome, off of Herod, and onto Jesus. Hope has arrived. And then John 12, 14 to 15, it says, Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. Now, here's what you need to understand, because it's very easy to skip over that and fail to see the significance of this passage. What you need to understand today is that Jesus coming into Jerusalem, riding on a colt, is not an accident. It's actually a fulfillment of prophecy. Some people have this notion that, that it just sort of unfolded and we sort of you know, decided we'd start worshiping this man called Jesus. But we don't understand is that God has had a plan from day one. We talked about that two weeks ago when we talked about the creation. Before man fell, before there was sin and evil in the world, we said that right after they fell, that God declared what we call the Proto-Evangelium in Genesis chapter 3, that Jesus would come. And Satan would strike his heel, but Jesus would crush Satan's head. God had a plan from the beginning. And so we see hundreds of years before Jesus arrives on the scene, we see the prophets prophesying that Jesus would come to Jerusalem riding on a donkey's colt. See, Pastor Ellen, really, that's a prophecy? Yeah, you can read it yourself. Read it, Psalm 118, verses 25 to 26, and Zephaniah 3, verse 15. It's, it's all there. And Jesus does exactly what the prophets say he's going to do. Hope has arrived. Now, I wish I could tell you that when Jesus came into Jerusalem, everybody understood what was going on. But it says in verse 16 that they didn't know. They didn't understand. All they knew is that this Jesus who has performed miracles, who preaches with authority, who puts the Pharisees in their place, who, who is a wonder worker, they recognized that this would be the perfect king of Israel. That if anybody is going to get rid of the oppressor Rome, it's going to be Jesus. Now, they believe that Jesus is, in fact, the answer to their prayers. They believe that Jesus is a fulfillment of all their hopes. But what they don't understand, and now you have to stay with me here, what they don't understand is that their real need is not to have somebody overthrow the government. That's not their real need. You say, well, what is it then? What is the real need of Israel? Well, folks, I'm going to tell you, the real need of Israel is our real need. Jesus didn't come to establish a political kingship, although he will in the future. That's not what he's doing here in Israel on this day that we call Palm Sunday. Jesus did not come to establish a political kingship. He came, watch this, to establish the kingship in our heart. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to be the king of your heart. Because that's your real need. The people of Israel, they thought 
that the real enemy, watch this, they thought that the real enemy was Rome. Guess who the real enemy is? It's you and me. Enemies of God. And that's why the Apostle Paul tells us that God sent Jesus to this world. We need someone. We needed help. We need a Savior. And that's why the people shouted, Hosanna, which means save us. Hosanna to the King of Kings. Save us! What they didn't know is that it wasn't a Savior from the oppression of human beings. It was a a Savior from the oppression of Satan himself that they needed. And that's what you and I need. We need to be saved from the darkness and from the sin of which Satan is the father. And the good news is this, is that if you come in faith and just say, Jesus, I want to put my faith in you, I want to be set free. I want the darkness taken from my heart. I want the guilt and shame removed from my heart. I want to be free. If you'll say that to Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that he will forgive you. He'll wipe the slate clean as though you'd never sinned. That's really what Paul's saying here, Romans 3, verse 25. Look at this. God presented Christ as a sacrifice. That's what the cross is about, folks. An instrument of sacrifice. God presented Christ as a sacrifice for what? For the atonement. Remember what we said about atonement, what it means? It means the at-one-ment. You and I being made one with God again, the way it was at the creation. You and I enjoyed that at one minute with God at the creation, and then because of our sin, we were broken apart. And the Bible says that through Jesus Christ, we're brought back together again. And all you and I have to do, ready for this, is put our faith in Jesus. Some of you grew up in in different Christian traditions and maybe different religious backgrounds, and you think that the only way you're going to win favor with God is by doing lots of good deeds. So that someday when you stand before God and God the judge is looking at you and he takes out the scales to measure your good deeds versus your bad deeds, if there's more good deeds, you're in. I'm going to tell you something, folks. That ain't true. It's not true at all. Here's what happens, folks. God takes your life with all the good and the bad, puts it on the scale. And the fact is, is that no amount of goodness on your part is going to get you into heaven. But the good news is that Jesus, you put your faith in him, Jesus is put on the scale opposite you, and that's what gets you in. That you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And if you've done that, the Bible says you're made one with God again. And here's the cool part, folks. When you put your faith in Jesus, God no longer sees the sinful you. Do we have any sinners here today? Three or four of us? If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, here's the good news. It's good news! Is that when God looks at you, you know, he doesn't see you. You didn't see me. You didn't see Alan. You know who he sees? 
He sees Jesus. This is a message of hope for you today because I know, I know that some of you are here and you feel defeated. You've come through a season of temptation and you have failed miserably. You made promises to God that you would never do that again and you did it again. And you saw things that you shouldn't see and you said things you shouldn't say and you've done things you shouldn't do and you think God could never love me, could never accept me. But you see, this is our problem. We have this notion or this idea that we have to be good enough. That will never get you into heaven. What gets you into heaven is that Jesus Christ is good enough. And all you have to do is put your faith in him. You say, but Pastor Allen, does that mean I don't have to do good works? Listen, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ you will automatically start doing good works. It's the evidence or the fruit that you put your faith in Jesus. So those of you who are here today raised in a tradition that says you've got to do good works in order to win favor with God, I'm setting your heart at peace right now, at rest. Yes, still do good deeds, but that's, that's the evidence that you put your faith in Jesus. Dr. Dale Archer says this. He says, hope lays dormant until its amazing strength is summoned. It lays dormant. It's there somewhere. I would say, Dr. Archer, you're not a theologian, but you're absolutely correct. We've been created in the image of God, and the thing that makes us feel most content and most happy is when we are in a right relationship with God. So, yeah. Hope lays dormant. And here's what he says. He says, this hope that lays dormant supplies our hearts with a sense of sheer belief that you will overcome and that you will persevere and that you will endure anything and everything that comes your way. Folks, listen to me today. This sense of hope that we have to face another day, to overcome the sickness you're facing, the marital problems you're facing, the relationship problems, the money problems. This hope that you're going to overcome is not just based on fear, on, on, on sheer let's cross our fingers and hope that it works. It's based on the reality that Jesus Christ belongs to you and is there to make you more than a conqueror through Christ. If you haven't noticed by now, I'm going to close with this. Life is a battle. Everybody know that? It's like from day one. You're fighting for breath. You're fighting for food. You go to school. You're fighting to fit in. You're fighting peer pressure. You're fighting temptation. You're fighting. You're fi it's always a battle. It's a battle from the day you're born to the day you die. Any preacher who suggests otherwise is not telling you the full truth. So that's why I'm glad you're here today because I'm going to give you the... I'm going to give you the full skinny on this. Life is hard. It's a battle. And anybody that suggests otherwise is not telling you the truth. It's the reason why the Apostle Paul says that you need to put on the full armor of God every day. Because life's a battle. And Satan is waiting to tear you down, to destroy you, 
to ruin and destroy everything in your life. And some of you are here today, and you have experienced a horrible life. But the good news is that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, and you get your life aligned with God, and you make your peace with God, then all these other things fall into line. It all falls into place. I talked to you at the start of my message about Europe coming under Nazi domination. Boom, 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 boom. They're all falling in a day. But there was Britain who had a secret weapon. And some of you think that that secret weapon was the fact that they had radar. Well, that was a secret weapon, but that wasn't the main weapon. They had a man by the name of Winston Churchill. And what Winston Churchill did is, as the leader of that nation, he refused to let hope die. I know some of you are feeling like, I don't know if I should just bother with God or church anymore. I don't know if it works. I'm going to tell you today, I'm going to be Winston Churchill to you today. I'm going to tell you, never give up, never give up, never give up. Here's an address he gave to the people of Britain, and then we'll close. He says, we shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island. Whatever the cost may be, we shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. And the reason today that I can tell you with confidence that you should never surrender is because the Bible declares that you are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. Whatever it is that you're facing, whatever struggle you're dealing with, whatever temptation right now that's dragging you down, I'm telling you, get on your knees before God, confess it to Him, and the Bible says He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Pastor Allen, how many times can I do that? Do it every day for the rest of your life. But know this, God is on your side. He loves you. He will not let you down. He will not let you down. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what your sin. I don't care how you failed. I don't care how you've messed up your life, your finances, your family, your marriage. I'm telling you that God is on your side. And he loves you. And your greatest need right now is become one with God. And when you become one with God, everything else starts falling into place. You become one with God, and then you become one with your wife and your husband. You become one with your family, your children, your boss, your workmates. That's the power of the gospel. That is the message from Genesis to Revelation. Would you stand with me, please? God, thank you this morning for your word, which is a lamp for our feet. It shows us how to live and how to get, how to navigate through this life. God, we acknowledge today life is so hard, so many challenges, so many problems, so many difficulties, but we can rejoice and be glad. We can sing praises to you because we know that through Christ, we are more than conquerors. We are victors. God, help us, we pray now, to stay at one with you. That that would be the most important thing in the course of our day because we want to bring glory to your name. And we pray all that in your name. And everyone said it with me? Tell the person beside you, don't give up, there's hope.